Readings taken from Psalm 46, verses 1 to 11. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Our second reading is taken from Micah 4, verses 1 to 5. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples, and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. When you read in a book, do you always start at the beginning? Or do you skip through a bit to see what happens in the next chapter? Or do you read the back just to see what happens in the whole thing? (laughs) Because uh, that usually tells you everything. Or the last page, whatever. Or if you're watching TV, do you look for the spoilers? I know I do. There's no point me watching them because I know what's going to happen. Saves a bit of time, I guess. But there's so often you can't resist looking ahead. So often we want to know what's going to happen before it happens. And when it comes to the Bible, we don't have to flick forward in the same way. Because throughout the Bible, there are loads of prophecies about what happens at the end. Plus we know what happens at the end of the story. But at times, prophecies about the future come thick and fast. And the book of Micah is a good example of that. Micah is a very short section in the Old Testament and was written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And the name Micah means who is like Yahweh, i.e. who is like our God. 
Michael was written at a time when people throughout the earth were worshipping a variety of man-made and handmade gods. God was angry that men and women were plotting evil. Angry that men and women were jealous of their neighbours and people were being done out of their inheritances. Religious leaders and political leaders were not lovers of justice. And religious and spiritual leaders were open to bribes. They were quick to prepare to wage war. And even, they even thought that what they were doing was done in God's name. Now that sounds a little bit too familiar, doesn't it? Wars being fought in the name of religion. We see it all around us. And Micah looked out on a nation which had lost sight of its mission to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Micah looked out on a nation that was misusing God's name and declared God's displeasure and God's judgment on such a terrible situation. And one of the major things that people find uncomfortable in the Bible, in particular in the Old Testament, are the times when the writers seek to identify God with violence of their time. Doubtless, we've heard stories where God is portrayed as approving the most shocking, cruel acts. The question is all too often put as being whether God is on our side, when actually it should be about whether we are on his. But thankfully, there are moments when God is discovered as being a God of peace and God of reconciliation, which is the God that we serve. We see this in our reading from Micah. He was prophesying at a time when Israel had been overrun by the armies of Assyria, and he dared to suggest that that wasn't how it was always going to be. He dared to suggest that one day there would be peace. He offers a vision at a time when, of a time when people will follow God's will, when they will be his people again, and there will be peace. We're told they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was an end to war? Wouldn't it be amazing if the things that were used for destruction were put towards good use to work for provision and to work to work the land? Wouldn't it make all the difference in the world? Well, so much of the fighting that goes on is so pointless and so many innocent lives are lost. Wouldn't it be brilliant if there was an end to that? Sounds like a bit of a dreamer, doesn't he, Micah? I mean, how can this dream of peace ever be fulfilled? After all, throughout history, it seems pretty inevitable, doesn't it? Well, the difference, of course, is Jesus. Jesus coming to earth, dying on a cross and being raised to life again kind of turned everything on its head. The hope that Jesus offers will make all the difference. And that is some challenge, isn't it? I mean, this kind of love that he's on about, the love of Jesus, and the love that we have to then display to others isn't the kind of love that's uh, based on feelings because, you see, Jesus tells us to love our enemies. And that love is um, actually from the Greek word agape, or however you say it, which is translated as being an intentional response to promote well-being when responding to that which has generated ill-being. 
So it requires action, and it requires decision, and it requires um, a decision to be made to act that way. You might have heard of something called the Christmas Truce. It was a series of widespread unofficial ceasefires that took place along the Western Front in Christmas 1914 during World War I. Through the week leading up to Christmas, parties of uh, German and British soldiers began exchanging seasonal greetings and songs between their trenches. On occasion, the tension was reduced so much that individuals could walk across and talk to each other and give each other gifts. On Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, many soldiers from both sides independently ventured into what they called no man's land, where they mingled, exchanged gifts and food and souvenirs. They had joint burial ceremonies and several of the meetings ended in carol singing. Troops from both sides were also friendly enough to play games of football with each other. Truth is often seen as a symbolic moment of peace and humanity amidst one of the most violent events of human history. In the early months of immobile uh, trench warfare, the truces were not unique to the Christmas time and reflected a growing mood of live and let live. It was only when the German troops were relieved by other German troops that the fighting started again. And authorities were incensed that the soldiers had been mixing with the enemy and were disgusted by this outbreak of peace. Peace can happen even amid the worst circumstances. Now, this was a unique event in war, and it turned the whole idea of war on its head. We're called to be people who break the tendency of ever-increasing cycles of hatred and of bitterness and of violence. We need to be people who promote reconciliation, understanding, and people who promote peace. We're called to live lives that don't fit with society's way of doing things. We're called to be people who offer hope to those who otherwise would be hopeless. And today, we remember those people who were each precious to God, as well as their families who had their lives cut short in the wars of the last century. Many of them were among the finest of their generation, seeking to respond to the call of their nation. And today, we choose to remember them so that they will not be forgotten. Because it's only in remembering that those who have given their all that we can truly appreciate what we have. And what we have is relative peace. What we have is freedom. And you know, if we remembered it and left it there and just you know, went away and thought, well, that was nice, um, then that's not the point. The thing is, those people who served on our behalf did so for a reason. The reason was to keep us safe, to protect our societies, and our lives would undoubtedly be different if they'd not done so. If people are willing to risk their lives to save society, then they must consider society worth saving. Now, let me just digress slightly, but bear with me. Now, I love a bargain. I absolutely love to get a deal on stuff. And if I ever pay full price for anything, then I think I've messed up. I really, honestly, that's the northerner in me. <laughs> but the buy one, get one free deals are pretty cool. And just the other day, I was buying some paint for our house up north. And I managed to get some paint, believe it or not, 
that was a quarter of its original price. I was impressed. That was good for me. I love a bargain. But I heard a story of someone else who also loves a bargain. He'd be really pleased with himself at the end of a supermarket shop if it said that he'd saved a couple of quid than if he'd have shopped somewhere else. But his father-in-law had an interesting response to such deals and offers that he sought out. He said he would always ask, what have you done with what you've saved? You've told me about the great bargains you've sought out. You've convinced me of your discernment and negotiating skill. You've reassured me about the careful research that you put into buying whatever it is that you've bought. But what have you done with what was saved? And I guess that's a good question for Remembrance Sunday. What have we done with what was saved? You see, documentaries and newspaper photos make, it, make the cost of human life so real of wars. What have we done with what was saved from that great effort? The whole of it summed up in those stories of struggle and suffering and courage and loss. The Second World War took the nation to the very edge of devastation. People were all too conscious of what was at risk and the extreme cost of overcoming that risk. But what have we done with what was saved at such a great price? The 20th century was a century of war. According to the statisticians, um, more people died in that century in war than any of the other centuries put together. Some years, the Poppy Appeal had the slogan, the best way to honour the dead is to care for the living. And I reckon that's spot on. You see, we need to look, in, look back in thankfulness for freedom, remembering it's only worth anything if we're going to do something with what was saved. Jesus once told a story of a powerful and wealthy man who entrusted his wealth to his servants while he left the country. They were literally given a fortune and told to invest it and he would come back and see what they'd done. Uh, two of them put the money to good use and they created some profits. And the third one buried it. And he did absolutely nothing with it because he was scared of losing it all. Nothing was lost, but nothing was gained. And the master's temper was sparked at that servant. Something had to be done with the treasure entrusted. Two of them did just that. They put it to work and developed it and it grew. The other one was too afraid to do anything. They were commended for being bold and adventurous. But the one who was condemned was the one who just gave his treasure no way of being used. Have we buried the treasure that God has given us? Are we using it to its best potential? Do we truly appreciate the freedom that we have? You know, sometimes... It's as if prosperity and richness of choice have made us superficial. As if we're squandering treasures and taking them for granted. You see, these days people are cynical about so many things. People are reluctant to get involved in things that don't necessarily affect them. People have no confidence that they can change things for the better. They think they can't make a positive contribu contribution. So they sit by and watch things deteriorate wasn't the ability to make positive change one of the things that was saved. Some people are convinced that everything comes down to a price, that people have a value um, that's just, a, you know, they're just another person. 
but wasn't the ultimate value of every individual another of the things that was saved. Others are often unwilling to listen to alternative points of view, but wasn't free speech and debate one of the things that were being saved? Too many people think life is taking care of the number one. They think that we have no need to look after each other. It's our choice. What do we care? But wasn't interdependence and responsibility part of what has been saved? So what have you done with what was saved? We need to be involved in this world. We need to make a difference. And the thing is, God loves his world, but he will not, and he will not allow evil to continue forever. And this is where Micah gives us a glance into the future. Now, this is not some kind of crystal ball gazing. It's not end-of-world predictions that so many people seem to get involved in. There's not a specific future date that attached to Micah's words. But there is a glimpse of what life will one day be like when the kingdom of heaven becomes a reality here on earth. We're told that in those future days, people will stream to worship God. People from many nations will worship the one true God. They will say of God, he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. God will settle the disputes between nations which currently rage without end in sight. And the wonderful future news is that nations which are currently at war will throw away their weapons of war. We're told that no longer will nations train for war. Ordinary men and women will have security. No one will make them afraid. What an amazing prophecy. What an exciting future. Sadly, given what things are like these days, I reckon we're a long way off. But today is Remembrance Sunday. Today we give thanks and we remember the men and women who have given their lives so that that peace might one day happen. And as we give thanks and remember, we also look forward to God's future promise of a day when wars will be a thing of the past. Now you might be thinking something along the lines of, so what, that's a long way off, that's not going to happen anytime soon. What does that bit of the Bible known as Micah say to us today? Does it apply to how we live together and behave right now? Well, yeah, it does. You see, lots of people are concerned, frightened and worried about the state of the world. Where is religious terrorism going to strike next? When will it end? How many more lives will be cut short? Well, the Bible gives us hope. The coming of Jesus into the world gives us a very real hope for now, for the future and for eternity. In the Old Testament, the mission of Israel was to bring light to the nations. And with the coming of Jesus, that mission now belongs uh, belongs to Jesus. And in turn, he sends us out to join with the mission. That mission now belongs to us. So wherever we find ourselves this time tomorrow, whether working in a shop, in an office, whether we're working in a school or whether we're just having a brew with a friend, whether we're doing our weekly shop or just going about our weekly daily business, we can all be bearers of that hope and light in a hurting world. The book of Micah allows us to peep into God's future plans to settle disputes at a time in the future when people will turn to worship the one true God. And so we have to live with that hope in our hearts and in our lives. And when we truly have that hope, 
we can offer it to others. We need to be lights in the darkness so that people can see the hope we have and that it will be attractive to people who are searching for meaning and community and acceptance. That mission is ours. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you care for each one of us. We thank you that no matter what we face, that you are there. Lord, help us to be people who are so involved in the world that we make a difference to you, that we, for you even, that we offer the hope that you offer to us. Lord, help us to be lights wherever you have placed us. Amen.